Welcome to the podcast about stories from the center of the universe. I'm Daniel Lance. I'm Paul Gilman, and this is Podzo One. This episode, we have Rolando Lamb, who is a VCU Hall of Fame basketball player. He is also currently a coach, pastor, and motivational speaker. In our conversation, we discuss Rolando's upbringing in Portsmouth, Virginia, the attention he received in high school as a result of being an athletic phenom, his basketball career at VCU, getting drafted to the NBA, and how he has kept basketball in his life ever since. We hear about some of the characters that he interacted with on and off the court, including teammate and former podcast guest Calvin Duncan. Calvin and Rolando together were named one of the top five backcourts in the nation during their prime, and they remain loyal friends to this day. Finally, Rolando tells us about his work with Faith and Family Church here in Richmond and his work as a motivational speaker. So without further ado, here is Rolando Lamb. Well, Coach, welcome to Pod So One. Yes, great to be here. Now we should say Coach Rolando <clears throat> Lamb, because that is uh, your, your name. I, yeah, is that's my name. You said Coach Lamb, though. To keep Coach Lamb. Yeah, Coach Lamb. Keep it simple. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, very cool. Well, I, I've been following your career since you played for VCU. I was in high school when you were in college, mm-hmm. and you and Calvin were prolific. And I should tell our listening audience that we connected to you through Calvin. Yes. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited that you are here in my house recording this. <laughs> this uh, makes me very, very happy. Um, and so, and, and it's not great weather outside. Like oh. the roads are not great, but you uh, trekked over here from Chesterfield to be in uh, Ashland, Virginia, and we're ecstatic to have you, excited yes. to have you. Yes. Please tell me about growing up in uh, Portsmouth. Well, <clears throat> growing up in Portsmouth, I got great memories about that because I grew up without my father. My mother raised five kids by herself, four boys and a girl. My grandmother had 17 kids, mm. five sets of twins. And so I'm serious, I come from a huge family, a huge family, aunts, uncles, everywhere. Unfortunately, most of the people I grew up with, they're either dead, in jail, or on drugs. Mm. And so, um, but it was three things that saved my life. It was uh, faith in God, my mother's rod of correction, and sports. (laughs) Those were the three things that saved my life because, Early on, my mother, she was an incredible woman. She was determined. She was a woman of faith. And she was determined not to let the streets get her boys or get her kids. Because, like I said, she had four boys and a girl. And so her whole philosophy was, you going to obey or I'm going to kill you. (laughs) There you go. So that was a strong motivation to do right. So, uh but yeah, it was, but it, was, it seemed like my childhood went by so fast. I started playing basketball at an early age and got really good, and, and that's what I did. I played a lot of ball, um, got bullied by my brothers and cousins and uncles and all of them, but I was getting better the whole time, getting better. So that's, that's a little something about my, my childhood. Did you, did you say your mom's rod of correction? Rod of correction, yes, sir. What, what did the rod of correction look like? Oh, it was anything. It was, uh, <laughs> it could be a broom. It was definitely switches. I remember she used to tell us, go out there, go out there and get those switches. 
and I go out and get switches. I try to get the smallest ones. <laughs> she get mad. She said, "I'ma go get them." I was in trouble there. So, but no, it could be anything. It could be a shoe. It could be a belt. <laughs> so, so Rolando, we Daniel's uh, so young that he probably spanking was he not a thing. He can't back understand. Back. He, yeah. <laughs> I'm a softie, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what number were you out of the five? I was the baby boy. And and your sister was younger than you? My sister's younger than me, and I was the baby boy. Oh, yep. you had three older brothers. Three older brothers, Oof. absolutely. That toughened you up. Oh, my goodness, absolutely, yeah. It was, um, like I said, I was bullied. I mean, they bullied me, and they, they tried to toughen me up and all that. But, um, oh, yeah. But it was, it was good. They they looked out for me though. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, they well, only out. they could bully. Only you. they could bully yeah. me. Nobody else That's could, right. but That's only right. they. So it worked out. So talk to us about high school basketball. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Craddock High School in, Port, in Portsmouth, Virginia. Right. And I never forget um, my high school basketball coach, John Sumner. Um, man, he he loved me like a son. And really, he was like a father figure to me because I grew up without my father. And so, but he saw he saw me play when I was much younger, when I was in the sixth grade. I played in little leagues and that kind of stuff. And he couldn't wait to get his hands on me when I got to high school. And he was just so tough on me. But that's what I needed. I needed somebody to push me because I had the ability, I had the giftings and the talent, but I was lazy. And so he would push me and challenge me, fuss at me and all that. And so, but we had a great relationship and he really helped me through my, my, um, my career. I remember I was in the 10th grade and I wasn't in the starting lineup. <clears throat> he told me this, he said, the first time you score 20 points, I'll put you in the starting lineup. And so he saw that, you know, I needed some motivation. I was just going through the motions. And so six game, the sixth game into the season, I ended up scoring 20 points. And he, exactly 20 points. So he came to me and said, you're going to start now. I thought he had forgot about it. But he was, he was such a, a, a man of principles, man of his word. He stuck to it. And ever since then, I, I, he put me in the starting lineup and didn't look back. And so um, that was the beginning of me really doing good in basketball in high school. And you were always a point guard? Well, yeah. Yeah, I always was a point guard. And um, because I remember asking him, what position do you think I need to play? He said, well, you can play any position, but point guard, I think, would be your your position for the future. So that's the position I played. And um, I'm glad he, he advised me on that. How tall are you, Ron? I'm six, two and a half, six, three. Okay, so you could have played shooting guard. Right, I could have played shooting guard. But exactly. your handles are nice. My handles is, is good enough for me to play point guard. <laughs> <laughs> they were good enough for me to play point guard, yeah. All right, so you, you got recruited. Were uh, schools looking at you when you were like a sophomore or junior or not until your senior year? When I became a junior, um, I was scoring a lot of points. I was, I was averaging 27 points a game. And so now, school started to hear about me, and they was like, who is this kid from Portsmouth? I went to a basketball camp, first camp I ever went to mm -hmm. in Georgia. It was one of the top basketball camps in the country for high school basketball players. I went to that particular camp and did very well. After that, my name was 
all over. And so that's when the recruiting was just crazy. I mean, a bunch of schools, especially here, uh, ODU, Virginia Tech, VCU, I mean, all the schools, some, some ACC schools, but um, like Maryland, NC State, but they didn't recruit me as hard. Yeah. And so, um, but it came down to VCU, Virginia Tech, and ODU. And um, of course, I chose um, VCU. And all three teams were pretty good back oh, then. Oh, yeah, they were great teams. Yeah. yeah, they were great teams. And, you know, because my senior year, I, I averaged 29 points. I, was, I led the state in scoring, all that. And so, um, I mean, it was a fierce battle between those guys because at that time, there were no recruiting restrictions. So they was at all the games, every game. I mean, they could talk to you after yeah. after the games. It was before the shoe companies got involved. Exactly. Yeah. And so it was just incredible. I mean, I would see these guys all the time. It was just so <laughs> funny. And so I remember, I remember this, that I, I put the word out, I'm going to make the announcement that Wednesday that what school I was going to. i never forget, Tubby Smith. He was assistant coach at VCU. Because <laughs> these guys try to watch your every move and all that. He parked his car outside of my house across the street, slept in his car to see where I was going to go, what I was doing. I mean, <laughs> And this was Tubby Smith who was an assistant coach of J.D. Barnett, right? Right. And he was also one of the lead recruiters. Absolutely. Or he's probably the lead recruiter. He ended up coaching for a while at Kentucky and a few other schools. Yeah, I mean. mean, He he was a very prolific, well-known coach. Oh, yeah, yeah, legendary. Tubby Smith, legendary, won the national championship at Kentucky. I mean, went on to a bunch of other schools. I mean, Tubby, well-respected in the game. And um, I'd be surprised if he's not in the Hall of Fame as a coach. Yeah, I would be, too. Yeah, yeah. He wanted the best. And I've seen Tubby. Tubby did it the right way. And I love Tubby. He's a great man. So I I interrupted you. Tubby was sleeping in his car that Tuesday (laughs) night before you declared on Wednesday? Yes. I had announced that, hey, I'm going to make the announcement Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) So he's sleeping in his car because these guys watching every move you make. Like I said, there were no NCAA restrictions as far as recruiting. And so – and so he slept in his car, all that. It was just so funny. And then Oliver Purnell was at ODU. Yep. And Frankie Allen was the assistant coach at um, Virginia Tech. So they, they was battling each other. I mean, but Tubby just outbattled them guys. I mean, he slept in his car. <laughs> but um, Did but you yes. know before you announced, you were like, it's VCU, I'm going to announce it on Wednesday? Or did you just say, I'm going to announce on Wednesday and decide at some point before then? I still did not know. I, I really, I did not know. That night I went to bed, that Tuesday night, you know, I was like, ah, you know. But when I woke up, I, I had a good idea. Had a good idea. Did yeah. you know that Tubby had slept outside? I all did night? not know that. But we, we, but we saw a car over there. We said, why that car still, you know, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know. And so Tubby, he did tell the story about that. But yeah, I mean, the recruiting was so fierce. I mean, it was just incredible. But like I said, those guys were at all the games, and you know, because I was considered back then the prize catch, yeah. the prize recruit in the state of Virginia. For good so. reason, I think. Well, you, you scored 29 points a game, and this is back when there were eight-minute quarters, yep. right? So it's yep. only it's only a 32-minute game. 32-minute game. And there was no three-pointers. No three-pointers. No three-pointers. So, you know, it was fun. What's well, the math on the 32 minutes again? 
eight-minute quarters. It's not 10-minute quarters? Nope. Oh, okay. Not in high school. I think it's still that way, right? Still eight-minute quarters? It's still that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still that way. Yeah, that's... uh, Tubby Smith never slept outside. I played high school basketball. I did not average 29 points. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so uh, it was great, though. That, that, that is awesome, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the recruiting, it was just them showing up to games, talking to you <clears> after <throat> games. Did they try to take you out to on trips or to dinner or, like, oh, any yeah. of that? Oh, yeah. They always take you out and, you know. Um, and there weren't rules against that back well, then. Well, I mean, you know, no, no. I mean, when they're recruiting you, you know, they, they could take you out to dinner and that kind of stuff. And, I mean, they didn't give me no money like that or buy me a car. No, that, that didn't happen. But, um. But yeah, they they did what they could do, you know, within the rules. And then, of course, I took visits to the school as well. So, uh, but it was great because when you're that young, right? You're that young, and you're getting all this attention. You're just loving it. I mean, mm-hmm. you're just loving it. Now, when it's time to make the decision, now it's all of a sudden you gotta you gotta face these guys. You gotta tell somebody. You're not coming to this. Yeah. You're telling everybody you're not coming except the one you choose. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. But along the way, you develop a, a good relationship with these guys. Right. Paul Webb and all these guys, You and they good people. Mm. But then you got to look at them and say, no, I'm, I'm not coming there. So, you know. Where, yeah. where was Paul Webb? Was he at ODU? He was at ODU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was head coach there. And uh, like you said, they had some great teams. I mean, ODU was good. Virginia Tech was good. I mean... And, and the thing about Virginia Tech was, now my high school coach played for the head coach at Virginia Tech. Mm. So, you know, uh, even though my high school coach didn't put pressure on me in any way, but I think he would have liked me to go to, you know, I mean, that was his coach. Yeah. You know. But, Did you uh, stay in touch with your high school coach after you went to VCU? Oh, yeah. 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 He, he was like a father figure to me. And, uh, yeah, I still stay in touch with him right today. Yeah. Wow. And your uh, mom and your sister and your brothers, did they come to your games at, in high school and at mm-hmm. VCU? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They all came to the games and loved it. And I was able to get them some tickets. And, uh, nice. But, yeah, they were very supportive, very supportive. Did your brothers and sister play basketball? Well, my, my oldest brother, he played football in high school. And that, that was it for him. Um, my... My other brother, he played high school basketball, which was good. He was a good player. Then he played at Shawan Junior College. Mm-hmm. It was a junior college at that time. And he played two years there, hurt his knee, and then he didn't play anymore. Then my other brother, he played in high school. Good player, but he was undersized. He was about 6'2", power forward, and going to the next level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just didn't work out for him. Yeah, so. it doesn't translate. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, did you start right away at VCU? Uh huh. I did. <laughs> I did. Did Calvin start right away? Calvin didn't start right away. Oh. <laughs> I, I should I have well, brought that up with Calvin? No, that's great. No, that's a great question because because see, <clears throat> one of the reasons I went to VCU because uh, Edmund Sherrod had moved on. He had graduated, and the point guard spot was open. Monty Knight, mm-hmm. who was the two guard, he had that he had that position sewn up. Right. So that's a position Calvin played. So he wasn't going to start, even though Calvin played a lot, but he didn't start. And um, 
when I got to VCU, that was that year of my life was the toughest year of my life. Mm. Because JD Barnett, JD Barnett, <laughs> I just gotta say it like this. He was the coach from hell. <laughs> he, he was a hard-nosed guy, right? <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. I'm like, who are, you, who, are you, who are you cursing? I mean, like, it was like, I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, so I did not like playing for him. And so I remember, I remember, this is how I got into the starting lineup. I remember we was, um, we was getting ready to play up at UVA in a tip-off tournament. And so JD said, after shoot around, JD said, um, "Hey, come here, come here." So yes, sir, you're going to start tonight. I said, "Huh? You're going to start?" First starting game was against UVA. It wasn't against. It was in that tournament. Oh god. Yeah, it was in the tournament up at UVA. So he told me I was going to start, and I had no idea. I'm I'm like, "Huh?" He said, "Yeah, you're going to start." I was so scared. Because I hadn't been practicing where I hadn't adjusted to college ball. It was just a shock. And so he told me that. And I was like, so that's how my starting, that's how it started at VCU. I was scared. <laughs> what, what game? Was that one of the first games of the year? Yep. I think we played um, somebody like George Mason, somebody like that. Uh, and they beat us. Mm. They sure did. They beat us. And so we didn't get to play UVA. But uh, so you started basically your entire college career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and did Calvin start the next year? Oh yeah. yeah. I, just, I just want to get that out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Calvin, yeah. Calvin yeah. did start three years. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And Monty Knight was a really good shooting guard. Great shooter. Yep. Yeah. Was great shooting guard. And um, <clears throat> he, him, and that particular year he was a senior. Kenny Stansel. You remember Kenny Stansel, mm-hmm. the big guy? Yep. They were the seniors, and they were they were the um, best players on the team at that time. Who was in your recruiting class besides Calvin? It was you two, and who else? Oh, man. Mike Slagle. Mm-hmm. And Mike Slagle. Um, then we had uh, Fred Brown, Randy Corker. Um, <clears throat> those were the main guys coming in. That, I mean, that was a heck of a recruiting class. Oh, it was, yeah. And was that mostly Tubby? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tubby was the man. He, Tubby's a great recruiter. Right today, I mean – He's a great recruiter. You know, look, I, matter of fact, I was talking with Tubby about, <laughs> I got a lot of funny stories, man. I was talking with Tubby about uh, probably about four or five months ago. And uh, and I remember when my son was playing. My son was in the 10th grade, right? And I knew he was going to be good. And I called co- Coach up. This, I said, is, this is Jeremy we're talking this about. This is Jeremy, right? Yeah. I said, Coach. I said, my son. I said, Coach. You need to check him out. He gonna be good. <laughs> now, <laughs> here's the thing: we were homeschooling our kids. We homeschooled mm-hmm. our kids, right? So I said, uh, I said, Coach, we um, I said he gonna be good. He said, Where he playing at? I said, Where well, we, we homeschool him? He said, Oh, he can't play. He oh. can't play. I said, Coach, I'm telling you, he said, No, he said homeschool kids cannot play. <laughs> My son becomes a senior in high school. All the schools want them. I mean, Kentucky, Florida, UConn, yeah. all of them. Syracuse. All, all the big ones. All of them. <laughs> Tubby called me up. Tubby said, hey, hey, Ro, how you doing? <laughs> I said, hey, coach. <laughs> he said, hey, you know what? He said, I want to talk to you about your son. 
I said, Cole, just too late, Cole. Yeah, God. I tried. Oh, where, where, where were you two years ago? <laughs> I said, Cole, I said, it's too late. <laughs> I mean, it was so funny, man. I said, Cole, I tried it. Because, listen, we wanted our son to play for Tubby. Yeah. I'm serious, because we knew. Well, he, I mean, was he at Kentucky at the time? At that time, he was at Minnesota. I mean, yeah. still was a top-level school. Sure. Top school. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so we laughed about it. We talked about it laughed about it. He said, he said, I, he said, he said bro, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. <laughs> but he made an assumption about homeschool kids. Exactly. Yeah, and he was, I, I tried to tell him. Are there other homeschool kids that have made it uh, into the NBA? Yeah. I'm sure there are um, a few now. Yeah. Believe it or not, um, Blake Griffin was homeschooled. Oh wow! Yeah, Blake Griffin was homeschooled, and so it's been it's been it's been not a, not a whole bunch of them, but right. it's been you know a few. But um, and homeschooled until high, high school. Like, how do they end up getting <clears throat> noticed? Well, I homeschooled. We homeschooled them up till high school, and then um, now my oldest son, my oldest son, we homeschooled him all the way through, all the way up to the twelfth grade, and that hurt him. Right. And he didn't get the looks, didn't get noticed. Mm. And so my other two sons, I said, no, we're going we to put them in an environment where they can get exposed. And so, um, so that, that's what we did with them. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a stereotype out there that if you homeschool, you can't play. Mm. You know? And that's not always the case. I, I think what Tubby was thinking probably was there wasn't a ton of competition yeah, when, when they're being and he mentioned that he mentioned yeah. that, but I told him I said, "Coach, I'm, I'm training, I'm working them out, I'm doing, you know." Yeah. So, but yeah, that that's that's what it was. Yeah. You know, the level of competition and all that. So. All right, so Ro, you uh, you have lots of fond memories uh, of playing at VCU. I'm sure <clears throat> one of them is uh, was it your junior year against Northeastern in yes. the tournament? Yes. Can, can you walk us through that? And by the way, anybody who's listening to this. Just Google uh, Orlando Lamb, <laughs> and this video, I think, pops up first. Well, you know what? That was an interesting time in my life because things were not going well. I was in J.D.'s doghouse. I, he, had t- t- he took me out the starting lineup. Mm. And, it, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm a transfer, and, you know, it's just over. It's just over. But that's also the time where I had – giving my life to the Lord. And all this was all new to me. I just knew that I needed I needed some help. I needed a sense of purpose. And I wasn't doing right in the classroom. And I just wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And so <clears throat> we make the NCAA tournament. And like I said, I wasn't starting. But I was still playing. I was averaging probably about 20, 25 minutes a game. So I right. was still getting my playing time. You were in the top seven rotation. Right. Oh, yeah. I definitely was in top rotation. So, um, so that, now that whole game was an incredible game. I believe. They were leading the whole game. They were leading the whole game. I believe, if I can remember correctly, they shot like 75% from the field. It's crazy. I mean, it was incredible. I, I don't know if you remember this young man, Reggie. Lewis. Yeah, he ended up dying. Ended up way dying. Way too early, yeah. But that particular game, he was a freshman. He shot 15 for 17. He <laughs> scored 31 points. He was like, who is this? I mean, it was he didn't miss anything. I mean, it was it was That's a phenomenal cool. game. 
It's crazy. It's truly one of those games where whoever have the ball last is going to win. Right. Because we shot 69% from the field. That's crazy. Burning it up. I mean, it was just up and down, up and down, up and down. Just incredible. So now, two seconds left. The ball is under our basket. We're taking it out. J.D. called timeout. He calls a play, and the play was supposed to go to Calvin, right? The the announcers were even saying that. Absolutely. Oh, he was our best player. Get the ball to Calvin. And that particular year, um, Calvin had a great year. I mean, he was the man. He was our best player. So we we set a pick. We set a double pick for Calvin. He came around, and they double-teamed him. And then... The guy who was taking the ball out, Michael Brown, he hated taking the ball out. I mean, he would throw. Because he was a really good shooter. Oh, he was a good shooter. Yeah. And he would always throw you the ball and take off running. He, he, he wanted no parts of the ball. Hmm. And so he was taking it out. We set a double pick for Calvin. He came around. They double teamed him. I backed out. And all of a sudden, Mike panicked and threw me the ball. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I caught it. And, of course, it was only two seconds left. I just turned and shot it. It was like the whole world just stopped. It was like, ah! <laughs> Yeah, the place went nuts. It went nuts. In yeah. the Meadowlands, in New Jersey. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just pandemonium. Hit the floor. I said, thank you, God. Everybody just jumped on me. And so, uh, and so J.D. was like, I love you. I love you. <laughs> I, was like, I was so mad. If you ever go back and look at that, he hugs me at the end. I'm like, I kind of <laughs> this guy. Yeah, I would have to do with him, but uh, uh, but yeah, that that's how it went down. Great, great memory. Great memory. Well, and the coach for the opposing team at Northeastern. Oh, Jim Calhoun was Jim Calhoun. Yeah, and you have a connection to Jim Calhoun after that game. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, when you look at that tape, right? He walks off so dejected. He was like. <laughs> He looked back like he, he couldn't believe what just happened. <laughs> he couldn't believe what happened. And so, look, 30 years later, he calls me up, right? He calls me up. He said, hey, hey, this is Jim Calhoun. You, you owe me. You owe me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I owe you what? <laughs> he said, oh, you owe me your son. Hey, you, you hit that shot. I said, Coach, I was just doing my job, right? <laughs> So we had a great laugh about that, but that's how the recruiting started with Jeremy. And uh, it was—I mean, <clears throat> Jeremy played in this tournament called the Peach Jam. This is where all the top AU teams play, and so Jeremy was playing just incredible. The assistant coach from UConn was there. He calls Jim Calhoun. He's a coach. You got to come see this kid. Now, at this point in Jim Calhoun's career or coaching career, he wasn't traveling. He didn't, he didn't go out to see players. He sent his assistants mm. out. He's a coach. You got to come see this lamb kid. Now, the interesting thing about that, Jim Calhoun was at Rip Hamilton's wedding. Oh. He left the wedding. Wow. To come up in there. And so when he came in there, everybody was like, you know, there was whispering, who is he here to see? You know, because they knew he didn't come out. He didn't come to games like that. Come to find out, he came to see my son, Jeremy. He he had to see him himself. And so when he saw Jeremy, he said, oh, yeah, we won. That's what we won. Did they know that he was your son? 
before he showed up at that tournament? <clears throat> they made the connection. Yeah. Oh yeah, he had made the connection, and so uh, you know it was it was it was so funny. But he called me up. Hey, you owe me. You owe me, <laughs> you owe me your son. <laughs> he he left Rip Hamilton's wedding. Rip was one of his better players. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But that was one of his selling points too. To my son Jeremy, he said, "Hey, you built like Rip. Hey, you 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 play like him." He said, "Hey, you see, he's in the NBA, so you know." But Jim Calhoun, he was known for developing those wing players. Right. And you talking about Rip Hamilton, uh, Ray Allen, Ben Gordon. I mean, a bunch of guys who played that. Um, Reggie Lewis. Yeah. Bunch of them guys who played that position. Same position my son played. So that that was a very attractive. Uh, means of of wanting to go to UConn, and he won a national championship there in his first year. Can and, you believe it? And you were there I for that there. game, right? Absolutely. I mean, it was it's crazy, a, right? It was incredible. I mean, because <clears throat> early on in the season, you had Kimba Walker mm. and a bunch of freshmen, and Kimba put that team on his back, and man, they just played incredible. Now, <clears throat> near the end of the season, they started. They weren't playing well. And when they went into the Big East tournament, everybody was saying they're going to get knocked out early and, you know, whatever. They end up winning the, the Big East tournament. They which, played. Which is a hard tournament to win. Very hard. I mean, listen, five straight games, five straight days. And they had, they had to, they put, they played, um, they played Pitt, they played Syracuse, and, and played Louisville. And Georgetown. I mean, it was extremely hard, but yeah. they did it. They did it. Won the won the championship, Big East championship. Incredible. It's back when the Big East was the Big East. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so now the NCAA come up. Everybody said, "Well, they tired. They they ex they put out all this energy. There's no way they can do it. They won the first game, the second game. They just kept winning. I mean, it was just it was one of the most incredible." Runs. It was similar to um, remember NC State when mm -hmm. they ran, made that run. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like that. Well, I I, I don't think any teams ever won eleven games in a row <clears throat> between their conference tournament and the NCAA. Right. Not like that yeah. because they had to play so many games because it was so many teams in the Big East. Right. They had to play all those games leading up to the NCAA tournament, yeah, but they did it. I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was phenomenal. I mean. It was incredible. Really. It was incredible. Wow. And when you were at VCU, did you all make runs uh, at NCAA? We did. <clears throat> um, first year, we did not. But my uh, um, our last three years, we made great runs into the NCAA. We never could get out of the first round, though. And uh, I remember my senior year, our senior year, we were ranked. And when you say first round, you're talking about the first two the Thursday, Friday, then the, then the Saturday, right. Sunday. Yeah. Right. And so, um, our, our senior year, we was we was seated. Get this, we was seated number two out in the West. I mean, we had a great team. I mean, we we should we should have definitely went further, but we got bumped out by Alabama, who was um, the seven seed or something. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, mm. and. Um, if we had to win that game, we would have gone to the Sweet 16. But um, 
We got both. y'all had a great team. Your la- your team. last two years, y'all y'all were awesome. We had, we had great teams. We really did. All right, so let's talk about the art of stealing a basketball. Uh, you you are all time second in steals, and, and who's number one by the way? Uh, Weber. Quick, man, that dude is quick. Oh, oh yeah. he, he tough. He tough. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're right there with him, and so. When you stole the ball, was it typically off the dribble or was it off the pass? It was um, it was some of both. I, I was thinking about that, and one of the things I had was great anticipation. I had great, I had a great feel for the game, but more than anything, great anticipation. I mean, I could see somebody coming down. I can anticipate what they were going to do with the pass. You know, who they was going to pass it to. And so that's how I got a lot of my steals. And then um, I would I would study how guys, how guys dribble, and um, I could pick their pockets like that. So it was some of both. But I would say the feel of the game and and having anticipation, being able to anticipate the pass. And if was, and um, if you bite, you know, if you make a lunge in a certain direction. Then you they wouldn't pass to that person. So it's also like timing's really important too. You have to anticipate. Then your timing's got to be. If, you, on point. if you're a tenth of a second too early, right, you're not going to get it. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing I had going for me was, I had long arms, long, long arms. So, um, yeah, especially somebody playing playing against me for the first time. Oh, it, it throws them off. Uh-huh. My, my my friend uh, T Bell, who I think you mm-hmm. may have met a couple times, connected me to Calvin. Uh-huh. Like after decades had passed since we y'all had left college and we had left high school, and 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 he was a season ticket holder. And their season tickets uh, were right behind the opposing team's bench. Uh-huh. And he said he he can't count the number of times you would steal the ball, go in for an easy layup, and the other team would call a timeout. And he would he would just give the other team grief about how they, how they let you get away with another steal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, feel for the game and anticipation. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, and you, and you were quick, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I wasn't lightning quick, but, you know, I was quick enough. Yeah. Quick enough, yeah. What does it feel like when you're out there in the middle of a game uh, looking for steals and just playing? Like, what was that like? Well, I, I knew that um, <clears throat> the thing about the thing about my coach JD Barnett, he he wanted us to play position defense, so he really wasn't big on me getting steals. However, once he saw that um, you know I was good at it, he gave me a little leeway, yeah. and uh, he would say, "Hey." And if you think you can get it, go ahead and go for it. But if you if you don't get it, <laughs> I mean, so uh, so that's how I went down. I mean, but he did give me a little leeway in that particular area mm-hmm. because he saw I was good at it. And he was your coach all four years. Oh yeah, yeah, he was there all four years. Yeah. Was Jay. was Tubby tough as hell, or or was he more laid back? Well, well, Tubby was more laid back because, um, <clears throat> you know, I would talk with Tubby. Coach Smith, I was like, Coach, I can't take. He said, No, nah, it's gonna make you better, you know. So he was more like, you know, bad cop, good cop. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. He was the good cop. Yeah. You know? He was telling me the stuff I need to work on. So, uh, but no, Tubby was smooth. He was Tubby was so cool and so smooth, and he helped me out, you know, a lot. Did you have any like mental rituals, or how did the team prepare for games uh, in the lead up? Man, my my ritual, I just try to pray, man. I said, Lord. Help me, Lord, help me get it. 
But uh, but different people had different stuff, and I pretty much, um, you know, like to get to myself and be quiet and um, try to visualize and, and, and meditate on what I needed to do in the game. And so um, didn't talk to a lot of people and just, um, so that's normally how I would prepare. But the thing about that for me was I, I used to play not to make mistakes. Mm. And that's not good. Nope. Because if I make a mistake, duh, that was the horn meaning I'm coming out of the game. So I had to play looking over my shoulder. Mm. And that just, because now I told you in high school I averaged 29 points a game. I get to college my first year, I only averaged six points a game. Yeah. So I won't used to that. But because I played scared, because I played looking over my shoulder, shots I normally would take that I knew I could make, I played hesitant. Mm. And so, you know. Cal Calvin didn't play that <clears throat> way, did he? Calvin never saw a shot. He never. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Ooh. Not at all. I mean, and you know, it's so funny. Most of them guys from New York, New Jersey, I mean, they they confident. They go they gonna take every shot they could take. And so, uh, but no, one thing about Calvin, he was good for me because he would always encourage me and we would always play one on one. And um <clears throat> he was the type of guy, if you wanted to get better, he was gonna help you get better. That's just how he was. And so that's one of the reasons why we developed such a close bond that we that that we have now. Like he wasn't trying to be the best and outcompete everybody. He he was like on your side. He oh no no he gonna beat you. No he gonna destroy <laughs> you. Oh no it won't no no uh uh no. It's not kumbaya. <laughs> right, there ain't no kumbaya moments with him. He gonna destroy you and then he'll talk to you, but he gonna destroy you. Oh yeah no he's one of the most competitive persons and players that I ever played played against, mm. played with. Oh, yeah, without question. I can see that. Mm -hmm. So you and Calvin, I think it was your either your senior year or your junior year, Street and Smith Basketball Magazine. Mm. I guess that still comes out or, or some form of maybe it's yeah. on the Internet or something. But y'all were considered the best backcourt <clears throat> in the country. It was our senior year, and we was considered one of the top five backcourts in the country. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I mean, really, I mean, I remember Dick Fatal was talking about it. I mean, it was legitimate though. Yeah, yeah, we, we got the respect and they really saw how um, we was able to lead our team because at that time, I believe I averaged like 17 points. Calvin averaged like 15 points, but we made everything go. Right. I mean, offensively, defensively, we were the leaders. And uh, at that point, um, JD trusted us and he looked to us to lead that team. Mm. And so, yep, we were one of the top five backcourts in the country. And, and at the end of the year, we was ranked 11th in the whole country. So, you know, we, we had some great teams. And t tell us a little bit more about the role of the backcourt. Like, do you make plays on the fly or like pre-made plays? Now, we have to remind <clears throat> our audience that he grew up overseas. And didn't, <laughs> you didn't play a ton of basketball. I did not. <clears throat> so no. backcourt back is the point guard, the shooting guard. Okay. Right. So point guard is like Steph Curry? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much the person who handles the ball, set up the plays, get the ball to the different people. Sort of the quarterback of the, yep. of the team. Exactly. And so now we had set plays, right? But 
we saw sometimes where when I say we, I'm talking about me and Calvin, we saw sometimes where we could do something to break away from the play to get an easy basket. Mm. And so we had developed such a camaraderie on the court. He knew what I was thinking. I knew what he was thinking. And we make just glance at each other. And he cut back door, bounce pass, layup. So um, <clears throat> so we, we broke away from the plays sometimes to keep the defense honest. Yeah. So, but, but we, but that we developed that over time mm. and the coach recognized that. And again, he gave us some leeway in that. Now our freshman, sophomore years, he won't, uh-uh. he won't. <laughs> it's back when you were looking over your shoulder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all were, y'all were special. I, I think you felt like VCU, the school rallied around the team and the city of Richmond kind of went crazy for y'all. The support was phenomenal. The support was great, and you could feel it, man. I mean, you could feel it. When you go to the stadium, and at that time we played at the Richmond Coliseum, right. and be packed. I mean, 10,000 sellout. Yeah, that's a big place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's something about the adrenaline. When you see all those people in there, and you want to play your best. Mm. You want to play your best. And a lot of times we did. It didn't make you nervous. It, it actually pumped you up. Absolutely. It yeah. pumped you up. It pumped you up because, again, you wanted to represent the brand of basketball that you was known for. And we was known for hard nose, good defense. Um, you know, whoever we played, they knew that they were in for a dogfight that night. Mm. Oh, yeah, they knew that. So, uh, All right. Tell us about one more fond memory <clears throat> of your college days. Whew. Oh, my goodness. Um, let me see. I remember when um, my um, my sophomore year. No, oh, oh, I give you this. I give you this. Senior year, senior year, right? We uh, we in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> we in the NCAA tournament, and and Calvin and I, we had just got saved. We gave our life to the Lord, and so, but this particular game, we wanted to do something different. And so we was in our room talking and we came up with this idea. We said, um, let's shave our heads. Mm. He said, what? He said, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's shave our heads. So, and I, 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 I remember this. <laughs> so <clears throat> I had a set of clippers and so we shaved our heads. And the thing about that, um, the couple of other players who was already on the team, Mike Brown and Neil Wake, they were they had already had shaved heads. Mm. So we go in there and we had hats on. So nobody knew we had shaved it. So when it was time to go out, we took our hats off. Everybody was like, <laughs> <laughs> so we get out there, right? And that was one of the worst games that we played. Mm. We was missing shots. It was just, it was just terrible. And we did we still didn't lose by a lot of points, but we lost. And if we had only hit a couple shots, we could have won. Man, when we got back to Richmond, people on the radio, they crucified us. <laughs> and this is what they said. <laughs> they said, uh, I thought they were Christians. Didn't they know when Samson cut his hair, he lost his strength? <laughs> what are they doing? Oh, man, it was so, oh, man, we felt so bad. We were like, oh, my goodness. And so... Um, 
That's how we went out. That's how we ended our Dang. senior year, man. You got to shake it up sometimes, though. Yeah, yeah, you do. You and do. so when, when is, was the draft, NBA draft back then? The what, draft. What time of year? It was, it was in June. Yep, it was, the draft was in June. And um, we both got drafted. I was drafted in the third round to Seattle Supersonics. And um, should have made it, but I didn't. And I was, I, I went into a state of depression. Because mm. you got to understand now, from a child, from a little child, all the way up to that point of thinking, I'm going to make it. You had never been cut. Never been cut. Yeah. I mean, and I had experienced all this success. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, I know I'm going to make it. And um, <clears throat> end up getting cut. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, and um, I went into a state of depression. And it was like, what am I going to do now? And my mother, she prayed for me. And she encouraged me. And so what I decided to do was play play the CBA, which is yep. now like the G League. Right. And so, uh, but at that point when I played, I, 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 it didn't feel the same. I just felt like, yeah, I'm just doing it because other people want me to do it. But I, my heart wasn't in it at that point. But I still played two years in the CBA. <clears throat> and from there, um, I began to see my life's purpose. Because when I was in the CBA, what they did was they would get us to go out to schools to do PR work right. for the team. And it, it was it was sad because some of the guys I was playing with, they would go in and we would talk about say no to drugs. Well, these guys was doing drugs. Mm. And I'm like, <clears throat> I'm looking at myself, I'm looking at everything around me, and I'm looking at the level of hypocrisy. They were living the NBA life in the CBA. Exactly. And so, um, but going in telling these kids don't do drugs, but yet you're doing drugs yourself. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I said, there gotta be another way. And so, um, from that point, my second year in the CBA was over. I was contemplating whether I was going to play my third year. And at that point, I decided, boom, I'm going to stop playing. I started doing some work with young people um, in the church and in, in detention centers. And, and um, <clears throat> then I started doing a lot of motivation, motivational speaking and just um, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing, using basketball and, and um, doing camps, training as a means to reach people, especially our young people, because they gravitate to sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it works. It, it works. It works. And so I've been able to write books, develop some seminars. You know, I was talking to um, University of Kentucky's basketball team some years ago, and I asked the guys the question. I said, um, I said, what's your position on the team? And, of course, they all knew their position, point guard, power forward. I said, now, what's your position in life? Mm. Um, I said, what's your position? I asked the whole team, not one new. That one guy knew their position in life. I began to teach him. I said, the sport you play is what you do. It's not who you are. The real you is your character. That's the real you. And I began to teach them about the importance of character and realizing that playing sports is just a part of your life. It's not your life. 
and I begin to tell them about what I went through as far as the depression and, you know, um, having a false identity. And so those are just some of the life lessons I still teach these guys right today in the seminars that I do. And it's very, very powerful and very effective. So that's that's what we're teaching them. So you're joining the NBA was like kind of your identity or your that was your position in life. And then when that didn't happen, that's you think that's what maybe caused a depression? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, basketball was everything to me. I put all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to make the NBA. And when I didn't make it, I'm like, who am I? What can I do? And, and that's what threw me into the depression because now I had to face all these people. They telling me, you know, I know you're going to make it. Good job and all. Mm -hmm. I'm like, now I got to go back and face these people. And just the level of embarrassment, the humiliation come with all that. Yeah, because that's public, right? Oh, it's public. Yeah. Absolutely. Everybody from Portsmouth knew about it. <laughs> everybody. everybody from VCU knew about it. Everybody. everybody. And so it was just an ugly time in my life. Yeah, but now that you're, uh, I mean, you're still a relatively young man. But now that you're a little bit older, you mm -hmm. you understand that basketball is a wonderful uh, endeavor. It's a wonderful sport, but it's not everything. Absolutely, and and that's what I've taught my kids, and especially my son Jeremy, because last year he had a major knee injury. Mm. He was out for almost a year. He just actually came back, but he torn it um, ACL. And it, it potentially could have been a career-ending injury. And thank God he's been able to come back. But again, having a balanced life and looking at life with the right perspective, realizing that, I mean, you could get hurt and your career is over. Who are you? What are you going to do then? Right. Mm. You see? And so this is a message that we're teaching these guys as we're working with them. So you are, you're not only a motivational speaker and a former basketball legend at VCU, you're also a pastor. I am. Talk, talk to us about uh, your pastoral work. Well, I, um, I was living in Atlanta, and, and when um, my mother was having some health challenges, so about five years ago, I relocated back here um, to Richmond. She, she was living in Portsmouth. And so when I moved back, that's when I teamed back up with Calvin. He's the pastor at Faith and Family Church. And so um, some of the responsibilities, my, my main responsibility is I oversee the men at the church. And when I say I oversee the men, it's, it's a tremendous responsibility because men set the standard in society. They're the, they're the examples. And so challenging these men to be all that God has called them to be is a tremendous endeavor, but I love it because um, <clears throat> Calvin can't do it all, even though he think he can. <laughs> <laughs> he can't do it all. And so, but it's been a great fit for me to be able to come in and, and help. Also, I'm one of the leaders on the intercessory prayer team. And so being a pastor, the most important thing is not the title, but is being the right kind of example. That's the most important thing, being the right kind of example and getting the respect that you need to lead men because men are not going to follow you if they think you phony or if they think you're fake. 
They just not gonna follow. Right. And that's the way it should be. And so, um, so coming alongside of Pastor Duncan, it's been a great privilege. You know, we we mess with each other. We say, hey, we did it on the basketball court. <laughs> now we got to do it for God. So uh, we have a good time with it. That's great. Uh, th- there's a community center that's part of the the church family, right? Or do I have that wrong? There's a um, yeah. We we have um, on our campus. We just actually within the last, I believe, year and a half, two years, we had a new building built, which is our worship center. Mm. And so the building that we were in, we made that a community center where we're reaching out to the community and we're having seminars on how to eat right, um, how to exercise, uh, academic excellence. I mean, because it's not just the church teaching the word but it's about being able to apply the word to your everyday life right and so um but yes that's that's where the community center come in and so with COVID-19 people can't aren't coming in I'm assuming and so y'all are doing a lot of teaching virtually a lot of teaching virtually yes sir absolutely Uh, and and so the other thing we're doing though like during the holidays we we put together we was able to feed over a hundred families. Mm. And so you said, well, how you do that? <laughs> well, we, we, we box up the food with turkeys and all that, and we'll place them on the porches. Or we work through the school system because one of our members is a principal at one of the schools. And so we were able to distribute the food through the schools or um, we take them through the houses. But, uh, but you're right, with COVID, that's changed the game. I yeah. mean, we've never seen anything like this Mm-mm. before. And so we've had to get creative. And yes, we've done a lot of stuff. Um, you can call my, my middle name is probably Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I never been yeah. on, I didn't know Zoom existed. I'm like, I didn't, <laughs> Zoom uh, has done quite well. Quite well. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So you've been doing a lot of motivational speaking over Zoom too. I have, yeah. I have been doing a lot of it, and it's been it's been good. I mean, I can just sit at the house and get paid, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's um, it, it's not going anywhere. I mean, this technology, all this stuff, podcasting, it's not going anywhere. But it's still a need. People need some encouragement. They need hope. They need motivation, and so um, that's what. Uh, we provide. I mean, I know for me personally, I am a builder of people. In other words, encouraging people to use what God has given them to make a difference in this world. That's really what it's all about. Yep. And one of the reasons I'm able to do that, that's the way my mother was. I mean, look, my mother, she she was a high school basketball legend. Mm. My mother's name, she passed away in 20. 20- 19 but my mother her name was marie she was such she was so legendary they call her rebound marie she's bad <laughs> i'm gonna tell you something man she was bad in 2015 she got inducted into her high school hall of fame that's awesome nice. i'm serious i mean she that's was incredible great. and so but she would always tell me she said you got a gift you got a gift and you got to use that gift and do your best. She always taught me that. You know, three things she taught me. She said, she said, whatever you do, put God first. Whoever you meet, show them respect. Wherever you go, do your best. Those were the three things she always emphasized. 
And so I remember my sophomore year at VCU. I quit the team. Mm. I quit the team. I didn't know that. Yeah. I went home. I went home. And my mother said, um, hey, what, what you doing here? I said, Mom, I said, I, I can't. I, I can't do it no more. She said, what are you talking about? I said, I, I, I just can't play for that coach no more. She said, well, tell me about it. So she said, um, so I said, Ma, I said, I said, um, I said, he, he, coach cursed me out every day. He talk about me like a dog. I said, he talk about you. She said, wait a minute now. Hold <laughs> I said, Ma, I said, I just can't take it. She said, let me tell you one thing. She said, <clears throat> I felt like quitting. She said, when your father left, she said, I felt like quitting every day, but I didn't. She said, now, you going back to that school. She pointed at me too. She said, mm. you going back to that school. And you know, I thought back about, if I don't go back, she gonna kill me. <laughs> she said, you going back to get that education. She said, you're not going to let that, she, uh -uh, you're not going to quit. You're going back. And so I looked at my mother. When she told me that, I looked at my mother, and I said two words. I said, yes, ma'am. And um, I ended up going back. And that was a defining moment in my life. You see, because if you quit one time, it's a little easier to quit the second time yep. and the third time until quitting becomes a way of life, mm -hmm. you see? Mm -hmm. And so she didn't let me quit. And that was, like I said, it was a defining moment in my life. And so just kept moving forward, man. But she was, she, she was always positive. She always believed in me. And, and um, I didn't want to let her down. So, um, but that's where that positivity come in at with me. I want to do the same for other people. Well, your mom sounds like a powerful uh, woman. Uh, did she ever leave uh, Portsmouth? Did she live there her whole life? Her whole life. Yeah. Yep. Her whole life, and like I said, a bunch of family is there, you know. But yeah, she lived there her whole life. Yep. Well, you said what seventeen? Yeah, my grandmother had seventeen kids, and she was she was the she let me see she was sixteen. She was number Ooh. sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. She was. Good 16. thing Grandma Amazing. kept going, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I mean, it was yeah, all them, all them kids. I mean, five sets of twins. I mean, just incredible. That's that's on one set of twins is. Uh, I know, to deal I with. know, but five. five. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, and we we have family reunions every year, and it's just massive. They just mad. I mean, every year, seriously, every year I go to the family reunion, I meet somebody I don't know. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny, really. And the reunions in Portsmouth. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Every year. Cool. So, how do you get these motivational speaking gigs? Man, I got to get on the phone. I got to get on this horn, call these coaches, and then um, word of mouth. You know, word of mouth. I love Facebook. Facebook has got me some stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, during COVID, one of the things I started doing was I started doing these one minute videos. You sent me your one-minute videos in you December. Saw, oh, yeah. yeah, of course. And so just encouraging people, giving them a, a, a motivational moment in the morning to start their day. And, man, people love them. People love them. And so I took off of January, but I'm going to start them back up real soon this month. But, um, but people have told me, they said, thank you for the encouragement. I needed that. And um, 
you know, I just didn't realize the desperate need that people have to be inspired, to be motivated. Yeah. And sometimes we could take that for granted, but mm-hmm. um, it's real. I even need it, you know. And, yeah. Um, so, you know, because, you know, somebody like myself, I'm constantly putting it out, right? So yeah. it could appear... <laughs> It could appear like I'm good. I don't need need it. I need it. Yeah, you're human too. Absolutely. I need it. So, uh, but it's a lot of fun doing it. And is it all people from all all ages, all walks of life? All walks of life. Although my my niche, my niche is athletes and coaches. Mm. That's where I'm really, I zero in at. But these principles, and you guys know this, these principles are transferable. Yep. Meaning they apply to anybody, mm-hmm. anywhere, at any time. I mean, just like, um, you know, a, a athlete needs to be disciplined. Well, so does anybody else. Yeah. To reach a level of success in any area, you got to be disciplined. You know, and I can go on and on with these principles, but no, keep um, going, man. But that's that's just an example because because um, I realized this for myself that the principles. The, the life-winning principles that I use, that I learned to use to become a world-class athlete are the same principles that people need to be world-class performers in the game of life. They're the same. Yeah. They're the same. And so uh, that's, that's what I'm using. That's what I bring to the table. So what would you, you know how you said quitting gets a little easier each time you quit. What would you say to people who maybe have gotten really used to quitting and it's really easy for them. Like how, how do you go about making it harder? Well, what I realized is this <clears throat> under pressure, under pressure, most people take the path of least resistance and they revert back to what they're used to doing. You see? So, um, if a person is used to quitting, first thing I want to do with them is change their mindset, change their mindset. And I want them to see, okay, what and 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 I have them. I do. I have them to write stuff down because I believe when you journal, when you write stuff down, you can clearly see where you are. Mm-hmm. You know where you are, where you want to go, how you're going to get there. And so I get them to journal stuff down. And I'm like, you quitting? What? Where has that gotten you? I and I and and I just start answering them questions because you know the Bible says this: counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. But the man of understanding would draw it out. So I'm asking them questions. Where has this quitting gotten you? What is it that you desire? What is it that you want? If you quit, can you get there? I guarantee you this, that if you don't quit, you will win. Mm-hmm. Guarantee. One of the first quotes I ever saw was in my high school locker room. It said this, winners never quit. And quitters never win. Vince Lombardi. Yep. That was the first one. He's right. Absolutely. Yep. If you want to win, don't quit. And so, but you got to change a person's mindset. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You mm-hmm. got to get their mindset. You got to get them focusing and moving towards something that that moves them inside. Because if you don't, they'll stay in that low-level mindset of quitting and it was no hope at least in their minds mm-hmm. but if you if you give them something to shoot for and aspire to oh yeah all of a sudden they have a new perspective in life 
and they they moving towards something. So my whole goal is to is to trigger something on the inside of a person because the answers are are on the inside of people. Mm-hmm. They just have to realize that and start moving towards it. So that's how I would deal with a person who's used to quit. That's good. That's good. Yeah, especially about it has to come from them. You know, it has to yeah. come from within. Yeah, there you, you go. You can't be the one that uh, changes their mind. Like they have to change their own mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So, Ro, tell us about one of your fondest motivational speaking moments. Oh man. Whoo! This is a good one here. Look. So I was speaking to these young people, right? And I, I, I was talking to them, and I used I, I do this demonstration. I have I have two cups of water. And what I'm teaching the kids is about making choices, making choices. And so I have two cups of water, and and with one of the cups, I spit in one of them. And so, <laughs> so. So I said, now, we're talking about making choices. Now, who would drink from this cup of spit? So nobody would drink from the cup of spit, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I had a kid um, raise their hand. How old was he? Are these about 15, 16? Oh, okay. He knows. Oh, yeah, they know. (laughs) They know. So the kid said, I do it. I said, you what? And so I forgot, I forgot to add a part. What I said too was, I said, who would drink? I said, who would drink the cup of spit? So nobody said anything. And then I said, I give you $50 if you drink from the cup of spit. So that's when the person said, I, I drank it. I said, you what? He said, yeah, I drank it. I said, for $50. Now I pulled the money out. And so the person, I said, well, come on up front. Come on up front. So then I said, I said, hold up. This is what I'm going to do. Because now, now I'm thinking, right? I'm like, oh, my goodness. I can't have this kid drain a cup of spit. <laughs> I said, I said, okay. I said, before you drink this cup of spit and before I give you the money, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour the water. <laughs> I said, I'm going to pour the water out. And, and it was about. 70 people in the room, right? I said, I'm going to pour the water out and I'm going to pass this cup around. Everybody going to spit in it. And if you drink that, I give you the money. They said, okay. So I passed the cup around. 70 people. (laughs) So the cup come back up, right? It was about, it was about, it was about this much pure spit, right? I kid you not. Let's just call it four inches in a plastic water bottle. <laughs> yeah, so our listening audience gets the idea. So Ooh. the cup come back. I I didn't want to touch it. I was like, I handed it to the person, right? A young man, about, like I said, 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. So I handed it to him. All of a sudden, the crowd go crazy. And the kid was drinking. Oh. A cup of spit. <laughs> and I looked around. It was coming from his mouth. Oh, and I couldn't... I, I, I'm serious. I, I couldn't believe it. I just said, man, the money's yours. I, oh. 
I said, what y'all just saw is, is I, I mean, I was just blown away. I mean, I mean, he had to get sick from that, right? Um, that I, many people. Oh. I was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it almost made me more than not ever speak again. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it was crazy. Really, it was, it was one of those for the ages. Did you ever do the water thing again? I did, but not at that level. <laughs> I, I, I toned it down. <laughs> I toned it down big time. Because I didn't want to be in that position again. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I couldn't believe it. That's, cr- I, that's yeah. crazy. So you do coaching clinics too, right? I do coaching clinics. And uh, I love doing those coaching clinics. Because those coaches, I always ask coaches this question. I said, coach, do sports build character? And they, uh, I said, yeah, yeah. And I have to teach him. I said, Coach, sports don't build character. It reveals character. Mm. And <clears throat> I give them the example. I say, uh, I give them an example. I said, Coach, would you want your son or daughter to grow up to be like a Dennis Rodman? I said, nah, I don't, I don't want them to grow up to be like Dennis Rodman. And Dennis Rodman there, I mean, he's going to go down as one of the greatest defenders and rebounders ever played to get matter of fact he's in the hall of fame yep i mean great player but off the court <laughs> i mean he's a he's a character he's a character and so my point in in talking to the coaches about that is that that's one of the biggest myths in society today we think sports build character it doesn't build character it reveals character the only thing that builds true character is daily consistent obedience to the word of God. That's the only thing that builds true character. But if a player score points, hit home runs, run touchdowns, whatever, we have a tendency to say that's a person of character. And not that, really. That's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not not really. So, uh, But the coaches appreciate it, you know, once I expose them to it and, and reveal it. And so, you know. That's 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 what we got to do, though. So if you had made the Supersonics back in the day, what do you think you'd be doing right now? I'd probably be dead. Yeah, you're not kidding, right? I mean, because that lifestyle, I don't know if I could have handled it. Mm. I'm just being honest. Yeah. I don't know if I could have handled it. And so, um, but I just don't know because, um, but I know by not making it, I, I was able and I've been able to share some things with my son because he's living that life. I mean, he, you know, and the, the challenges, the temptations, all that that comes with it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a whole nother world. Mm. It's a whole nother world. Now, I would like to think that I would have used my platform to, you know, be a positive role model, but I just, I just don't know, really, to be honest with you. Yeah. I just don't know. But, um, but everything... Everything happens for a reason and for a purpose. And um, I believe right now um, in my life that um, I'm I'm making the greatest impact uh, that I can make and even going to make a bigger impact. So I love it. Are you going to stay in Richmond? As far as I know, until, you know, (laughs) Lord may say. (laughs) Right on. But as far as I know, yeah, I love Richmond. Richmond is a great place. And you know what, too? All the stuff we're dealing with in the world, mm. you know, the the, the racial injustice, uh, COVID. I mean, just it's it's real issues, and so no one person has the answer. 
we got to work together. Yep. Whether whether we believe that or not. I mean, seriously, we have to come together and work together. And so... Um, Men, women, black, white, young, old. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, where can people find uh, Faith and Family Church? What's the address? Sure. Faith and Family, uh, 7900 Walmsley Boulevard. That's the address. They also go to our website, faithandfamilychurch.org. All the information is up there. And... Um, it's a great church. I'm just saying, it's a great church. Nice. Yes. Sounds like it. Yes, yes. Is Calvin it. still doing his Monday, Thursday night? Calvin he's, ta- he's taking some time off, but he's he's reworking his strategy because it was very effective. I mean, people love it. The, yeah. The platform that he created and, um, you know, is is reaching people. And we, that's the platform we had Tubby Smith on there. We had Bruce, I mean, Chris Broussard. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... Um, so it's, it's a great platform. Also the, the ability for people to interact, you know, right. with zoom, asking questions and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So that's been great. Well, he had that young <clears throat> female rapper on, um, mm-hmm. and I was on that and he saw my name and he put me on the spot and had me ask her a question. <laughs> I said, Come on, what did you ask her? I asked her who her biggest inspiration was. It's a good question. Great question. Yeah. yeah. What? Well, so we'll ask you that question. Who's your biggest inspiration? Wow. Um, <clears throat> my mother. Yep, she number one. Um, my spiritual father, Bishop Wellington Boone. Um, and my pastor, Calvin Duncan. Yeah, nice. Calvin Duncan. And then my high school coach, um, John Sumner. Yep. Um, those people have played a major role in um in my life you and calvin are are brothers y'all, absolutely y'all, y'all love each other yes sir yeah yes sir i mean y'all are both good men thank you i appreciate that you're both really good men appreciate that so what's next for you after this covid stuff goes away are you still zooming or are you hitting the road a little bit i'll be hitting the road i'll be hitting the road and uh i still be doing some zoom but hitting the road because um <clears throat> it's a whole one of the things I'm working on now is um, I'm developing this personal development workbook. It's titled um, Bring Your A-Game. Bring Your A-Game. Yep. Bring Your A-Game. And um, again, it's helping people to identify and bring balance to their life. And so I believe there's four major areas in a person's life. Attitude, academics, ability, and associations. Those are the four major areas in a person's life. And so um, just, again, building people up so they can live a quality of life where they can make a difference. I believe people are looking for, they, they're looking to be, um, they look for something meaningful, they're looking to be fulfilled, and they look for something rewarding. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, we all get that in us. So, yep, I'm going to hit the road. I want to talk to the, as many of these athletes and coaches as I can, uh, even our young people as well. Um, and especially our young black males, um, they're becoming, unfortunately, they're becoming an endangered species. Yeah. And I know that's kind of some strong terminology, but I mean, you see it's, ha- it's, it's being played out, but I'm not losing hope. I'm not, it doesn't I'm, have to be that way. I'm a product, I'm a product of that. I'm telling you, right. I'm mm-hmm. a product of that. Most of the people I grew up with, and I'm talking about the young, the young men. 
you know, they, they're not here anymore or they're in jail. But my mother took a stand and she said, nope, I'm not going to let the streets get you. And so just from experience and what I've been through, I know we can make a difference. And then I'm fighting for my grandkids. I have four, I have a total of five grandkids, but I have four boys, four. And so I want to be the right kind of example for them and, um, and make a difference. So um, that's, that's what's next. I mean. Well, Rolando, you are an inspiration. Uh, you are a fantastic example for your kids and your grandkids. And, and anybody who uh, listens to you. So I, yep. I really appreciate you coming out tonight. You didn't Thank have to. You could have you. Zoomed it very easily. Thank you. I, I, you, are, you are a treasure <clears throat> to me, Rolando. So I, I really appreciate uh, you joining us. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate Thank you, Coach you, Lamb. Yes, sir. I appreciate what you guys are doing. I've enjoyed it, man. And uh, I love this. I love this. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode feel free to subscribe through whichever app you're using to share your thoughts head over to our website at podso1.io and there you can comment on episodes or send us feedback directly thanks for listening